Welcome to It's Your Hormones, the podcast that delves into how your hormones affect every aspect of your life. I'm Dr. Sahar Rokhead. I've been a doctor for almost 20 years and I'm a GP who's been working with patients with hormonal issues for 10 years. Today I'm speaking with Amelie, who is a health and beauty editor. She candidly speaks about her current hormone symptoms, which could be linked to PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and some of the changes she's making to help manage it. We also have an in-depth conversation about egg freezing, which I hope you find helpful. Let's begin. Amelie, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. (laughs) So we first met uh, quite a few years ago, right? Yeah, I think... Maybe like 10 years. I don't know. When did you start at Omnia? I think it was like 2016. Um, <laughs> yes, 2016. I came to see you and um, I remember you prescribed me some um, hormone. I think it was an estrogen cream. It was a progesterone Ma- cream. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> there we go. That's how bad my memory is. Um, yes. So, yes, I remember that. But I was very bad with take, like with using it. Um, and I actually think back to that time and really wish that I had paid more attention. <laughs> I was like, mm, do I need it? Clearly I did. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your sort of hormone experiences, I guess, over the years? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, ever since I can remember kind of having blood tests and my hormones checked, I've always had very high testosterone levels. But the doctor would ask me, my GP would ask me, like, do you have any symptoms? And I'm like, well, what symptoms do you mean? And then they would reel off different things like, you know, do you have regular periods? And I'd say yes. You know, do you have facial hair? And I'd say no. And so all these things that they were saying to me, it it just didn't apply. So, you know, I had some tests originally and they ruled out like Hashimoto's or, you know, all those things that you would test for if you have high testosterone. And yeah, kind of just sent me on my way. And um, But as I've gotten older, I've just started to notice things going a bit awry. Mm-hmm. I think the difficulty for me was like I seemed to have PCOS-like symptoms. So I started to kind of have irregular periods. I started to develop facial hair, hair loss. So a range of different things, um, bad, like acne, And yeah, so I had tests for that. And, you know, one doctor said, oh, I think you have PCOS. And another doctor was like, no, I really don't think so. And so further testing, further testing. Um, And then my testosterone levels would all of a sudden be in the normal range again. Um, So it's been quite a few years of kind of frustration, lots of random symptoms and things going on Mm. and not really knowing What's happening to my body? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things I'd normally ask a, a patient who who maybe came in and told me that is yeah. like, um, you know, it's one thing getting the levels checked and all, all that sort of thing. And, I, you know, I am an advocate of, of having levels checked. But what I guess I really want to know is how is it affecting your day-to-day life? Right. That's always the biggest question for me. Yeah, I mean, for me, I found, um, well, obviously with uh, hair growing on your face all of a sudden, it's a bit of a shock Mm. and it's something that's quite difficult to deal with. Like I've been doing laser now on my face for about five years and it hasn't really been working very well. So I think I have to transition to trying electrolysis. But then even as a beauty editor, I'm like, oh, who should I go to see for this? Like, where is the best place to go? Also, obviously, with skin of colour, you can't always have the same types of treatments that, you know, people with a paler skin tone can have. And some treatments, you kind of want to see someone that's very, very experienced in your skin tone. So that makes things a bit more difficult. So I just carried on with the laser because I found someone who at least didn't burn my skin. And for the time that I was, you know, between sessions, the hair growth, it's not thick. So it's been okay. But obviously, after five years, you'd expect it to not be there. Be gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, dealing with that has been difficult. Dealing with um, the androgenic alopecia, although actually it's now termed female pattern hair loss, um, has been really hard. I have it on my hairline so I have a scar on my forehead Mm. and I got that scar when I was three and it was always covered by my hair 
so no one ever saw it. So I have like my best friends, like, because I'm quite clumsy. What have you done this time to yourself? And I'm like, actually, I've had that my whole life and you've just never noticed. So every time someone comments on my scar, it just is a reminder that that I've lost hair mm. and that possibly I could lose more. And so, yeah, so that's that's quite difficult. Um, also just like fatigue, feeling tired all the time. And I kind of was just not really sure where that was coming from. And over the process, I've gained a lot of weight, but I think some of that's hormonal, but a lot of that is literally just kind of not being able to deal with the impact of all these kind of hormonal changes yeah. and just emotionally eating and things like that. So it's just really affected like my whole world. Yeah, so it's impacting the quality of your life basically right. in, in lots of different areas, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, what sort of uh, things are you doing for it at the moment? Oh, God. Well... I have like a drawer of supplements. Tell me about them. Oh, God. <laughs> to be, I, you know, when you kind of, you read about something, you know, the internet is an amazing thing, but it's also a bit of a minefield because yeah. I think when you go to see your GP, for example, so on the NHS, sometimes you find that there's only so much they can do or only so much your GP will know about a topic unless you see someone that specialises, you know, and obviously they can send you to people, but sometimes that's even hard. So you end up kind of going to the internet a lot and researching things and also looking on social media and things like that. And I think it's great that people like you who are medical professionals have, you know, a presence online. But yeah, you do see a lot of people as well that are not medical professionals. Yes, they might have PCOS or they might have hormone issues and so they're sharing their personal journeys. But what works for them might not work for you. Yeah. But through all my research, I kind of ended up literally with a drawer full of like probiotics, berberin, um, what else? Obviously, the normal kind of vitamin Ds and uh, vitamin C, E, collagen, sawgrass palmetto. Yeah, saw palmetto. Yes. Yeah. Um, gone and five million other different things <laughs> I think I saw some improvements but then when you take so many things mm. you have absolutely no idea what worked and what's not working yeah and what you need and what you actually really don't need yeah so I have found actually that the more kind of testing I've had the easier it's been for me to kind of whittle down what supplements I should take mm. I think sometimes especially with PCOS, like when you look online, you know, they say things about insulin resistance, high testosterone, and then you might actually not know, do I have insulin resistance? Like, I know I have PCOS, but how is it presenting? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was just a lot of testing as well to figure out which supplements out of the 5,000 that I have mm. that I should actually take. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I've, I've uh, reduced it considerably. And I also take some supplements for my thyroid, actually. Oh, yeah. I think it's iodine. Yeah. And I've only started taking them for the last kind of three weeks. And I'm really noticing a difference. I don't know if it's just in my head, but I've had issues with my thyroid as well. Okay. So I've always had either a slightly underactive thyroid mm -hmm. or just kind of... Yeah. And it, it runs in my family like um, hypothyroidism. Yeah. And yeah, and so... I'm always back and forth to the doctor with that. But obviously, I don't want to be on medication forever. Yeah, of course. Sure. But at the same time, I'm wondering if that's impacting me as well. Yeah, it, it certainly could do. And, you know, I think if you're feeling an improvement of the, the iodine, then get your thyroid rechecked in sort of six to eight weeks and, mm. and see if it is like, you know, a, a true effect. Because so, it takes about at least four weeks to see a change in your thyroid results. Okay. So I normally like, sometimes a patient will have just changed their dose and go, oh, I feel better. Can I get my thyroid checked? I'm like, it's only been a week. It's not really going to be reflected in the levels. So I normally say to do it sort of six to eight weeks. So okay. you're really seeing the impact of the changes you're making. Right. Okay. I will definitely do that. But yeah, I'm, I'm noticing a difference. I mean, I think it's really interesting because sometimes you think about the body as a separate entity mm -hmm. to the mind. 
but then what goes on in the body affects the mind. And vice versa. Yeah, and vice versa. So, I mean, sometimes I think, do I have depression? Do I have symptoms of depression? Or do I have hormonal issues that are, you know, affecting my mood? Yeah. I think it has ended up being both, but I think the hormonal issues have affected my mind. Mm. Um, And and yes, but I, I am noticing that I'm feeling better, but I think it's really important to implement some lifestyle changes. Yeah, so look, you're taking some good supplements, right? So you mentioned berberine. Berberine's pretty good for um, sugars and insulin resistance. Saw palmetto would be to help lower the testosterone or help reduce the more sort of stimulatory dihydrotestosterone. So it basically gets testosterone to bind to different receptors. Have you thought about Agnes Castus, which is, it can help balance the hormones in the second half of the cycle? Uh, I haven't. <laughs> well, maybe we should think about it. We'll think about it now. <laughs> so it can help boost progesterone and sometimes that can be an issue in polycystic ovarian syndrome. So I think maybe worth thinking about it. But... As you quite rightly said, we don't want to just be focusing on supplements alone. We also want to be thinking about what's going on in lifestyles. So we know that people with PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, can have a tendency to not process the sugars well. Mm. So it would make sense to try and minimise it. But as you quite rightly said, if you're feeling a bit low then sometimes that can be a habit that you're kind of drawn towards. Mm. So I think it's equally as important to have some sort of mindfulness practice, whether that's actual meditation or journaling or, you know, getting out for mindful walks and things like that, because it's all very emotive, isn't it? And, you know, when you're not feeling great and, you know, if there's things in your appearance you're not feeling too happy about, that definitely has a negative impact on the mood. I think it's about just finding that connection with self again. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, when things are kind of going on with your body and you feel like you have no control over them and it's kind of like one thing after another, it can be hard to f- to feel connected with yourself. Yeah. Um, as I said, it really feels like your brain is is you know, on one side and your body's on the other and you're not working in sync together. So I think, you know, over the last year, it's been really difficult for me to, I guess, kind of process everything that's been happening with my body and my mind and kind of pull myself out of it in some ways. And I think there's some things that are beyond your control. Um, Obviously, I'm going back and forth with endocrinologists and, you know, doing all the testing. And, you know, some of them are still not sure whether I do have PCOS. Some of them have said, like, oh, well, there's really nothing that we can do in terms of my hormone levels, you know, aside from two medications, spironolactone and um, the pill. Mm -hmm. But I found that when I had the two together combined, you know, my anxiety was just crazy like I didn't want to leave the house yeah and so I ended up coming off the pill and just staying on the spironolactone yeah and I felt like a failure like I felt like oh these are the only things I can do for myself and I couldn't do it Mm. um but yeah so that made that's made things quite difficult but yeah I think you know there are things that you can do and like you say I'm not one for meditation, really. <laughs> I actually got kicked out of a meditation course. Apparently, I fidget too much. I mean, I was meditating. like My eyes were closed. I didn't realise I was so fidgety, but there you go. But walking is has been really good for me in the past. So I'm just trying to figure out a kind of a, a new timetable for myself to, yeah. to make sure that I include kind of the, those kind of things and and get out the house really. yeah I think like you know a couple of things you you said there just just made me think and I, I think you know if you're only given two options and one of them doesn't work for you and you're already not feeling particularly good about yourself and what's going on and then you pin all your hopes on this thing that's going to help and it, it doesn't necessarily help or makes things worse I mean Obviously, when you're not feeling good, I can see why you would you would feel like a failure, even though that isn't the case at all. Mm. If anything, I would look at it as the medication has failed you. It's not compatible with you and you're not going to do something that isn't compatible with you. Right. When you take the pill, it shuts off your, your ovaries. So you get then get 
um, you then get artificial hormones that kind of manage your cycle. So for some people, it can help with the symptoms and obviously, uh, or maybe not obviously, but the, the pill does lower your testosterone, which maybe not everybody knows. Obvious to me, not obvious to everyone else. Um, so then that can sometimes help some of the symptoms. But by maybe shutting off your natural oestrogen and your natural progesterone, you felt worse mm. because your natural progesterone, even if you're maybe not producing as much as you need at the moment, perhaps it does have an anti-anxiety effect. Oh. So it can definitely help with mood, whereas synthetic progestin doesn't have that. Right. So that can be the explanation. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah, so it's not a failing on your behalf. It's right. just that the medication was doing what it's meant to do and it just didn't work in a compatible way with your system. Yeah. So it's not a failing of you. It's not necessarily a failing of the medication. It's just a compatibility issue. Yeah. Like dating. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not going well either. So, you know. But yeah, no. So, um, yeah, I, I think I've kind of just taken a step back from kind of worrying too much about it. Yeah. Um, I'm not really, I don't check my hairline every day like yeah. I used to. And, I, you know, I'm doing what I can. I mean, I've got still... I think a few more things I can implement sure. uh, into my Don't <laughs> life. We all. Yeah. Don't we all? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I'm taking baby sips. I think the the pressure, like it, it felt quite overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But I think that putting the pressure on myself to kind of fix myself did the opposite. <laughs> mm. So I'm trying, yeah, just to relieve that pressure a bit. You know, I guess I would think of it from the fact that you know, just what you said, I need to fix myself, that's implying you're broken. Yeah. Right? And instead of looking at it that way, it's like, this is something that's going on with my system and how can I manage it better? Right? That's what I think you would be looking at. Like, how can I manage this better? Or not you per se, how can, you know, I work with this better and yeah. be more in tune with my body? And yeah. I think the you know, we all have a tendency to look at the long term and see what's going on there. But instead yeah. of going, right, what can I do today to nurture myself? Yeah, so, absolutely. you know, what am I going to eat? How am I going to exercise? Because I think you were doing a lot of exercise at one yeah, point, um, right? I mean, I've always enjoyed exercise from, you know, from school times. Mm. Like I loved netball. I was on the netball team. Uh, I love playing tennis. And I really liked, as I got older, weight training, spinning yeah. classes. So that was like something that I just loved to do. Uh, I never really, it wasn't a weight thing for me. Yeah. Um, I actually find that when I exercise, I can't really lose weight. I tend to just be super hungry. So I can eat yeah. very, I can eat healthy food, um, but I'm deaf. I, I cannot watch calories and, and all of that and I eat in a way that's going to assist my training so carbohydrates I will eat them you know things like that so I kind of stopped exercising because I had gained so much weight especially in the last year and I kind of was like okay if I'm gonna exercise then I need the fuel for it yeah and so I was kind of a bit worried like oh, if I exercise at the level that I used to, I'm probably going to be hungry. I'm not going to be able to reduce my food intake. Mm -hmm. And the goal was to lose weight. I mean, that has not started yet. And yeah, and so not exercising has actually not been great for me because I really need like movement and to get out and about. And, um, and so, the release is like happy chemicals and, yeah, yeah, and things absolutely. like that. And you feel good about yourself when you're yeah. lifting heavy weights. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. I have arthritis as well. So um, I basically, like I said, it's just been a year of like everything. A massive change, I think, for my body in so many ways. A change in my routine and also a change in my hormone levels. Um, and with my arthritis on top of that, mm. um, you ha I have to be careful of what kind of exercise I do. Yeah. Um, and then with the 
I I've, I had a lot of the issues before I gained weight, but then with gaining weight, it can be a bit difficult as well. Sure. I, so I got run over in a hit and run. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel like everything's just a nightmare. But no, like about 10 years ago. And so my ankle isn't the best either. Mm. So that really affects it. So it's just like a, a cycle of things. But I definitely do feel like movement is really important. Like yeah. just literally a walk is, is really important to do. Having moved back to London from Lisbon recently, Mm -hmm. walking here in the winter is not the best (laughs) so yeah I'm just trying to motivate myself to do it but I think the thing with all things is it's hard to start but once you start you know it's not so difficult to continue yeah I was just thinking back to that lockdown the winter lockdown of January 21 no one's going to forget that in a hurry and you weren't obviously allowed to do very much so I basically forced myself to go on a walk every day yeah even when it was miserable, even when it was raining. So I was just like the only like legit time well other than when I went to work that you know I was allowed to do something social and yeah I guess I you just make yourself and then you just bundle up and it it was okay in the end yeah but that's obviously a very extreme situation because now we have choice I mean I was also thinking about something else you said and something I do when I'm trying I guess to connect with myself in a better way is to maybe not focus on what my body looks like but focus Mm. on what it can do yeah and that's why I think exercise is really good for that because you're like I lifted this much weight today I'm a badass you know I I did this cycle class I'm amazing and then it's not so much about the aesthetic but being like proud of what the body can physically do and I think the more we can connect to ourselves in that sort of way maybe some of the other things fall into place as well then yeah I um I've been lucky I've always been like I said quite sporty and very strong Mm. um so for me the challenges were like more cardio like spinning I really love to do and that's kind of I guess a mix of strength and cardio depending on what kind of class you do whose class you go to and weightlifting always came naturally to me Uh, but running over the years has got harder and harder and although running is not great for your joints it's something that I've always just wanted to be good at so as a teenager I used to you know go to the gym and run I don't know why I never ran outside maybe it's just being a Londoner I just never occurred to me to run outside but um you used to go to the gym and like run for an hour but as I've gotten older I just stopped doing it so when I was living in Lisbon I lived right by the water oh nice so yeah I started going for runs and uh, I really enjoyed it and so I want to kind of get back into that as well for sure. Yeah, I read a few years ago Bryony Gordon's book about running. Mm, yeah. Um, I can't remember what it's called now, but she really talks about running outside. Yeah. And I'd never really run outside, you know, because of the weather and stuff. Yeah. But I'm like, oh, I'm going to start running outside. I love it now. I really enjoy it. Well, that's the funny thing. Like, I never... Th- I never thought about running outside living in London Mm. and I really enjoy walking but I never really walked much in London either. Okay. Uh, And then when I moved to Lisbon it's such a small place that you can pretty much walk everywhere even though it's the city of Seven Hills so it's (laughs) you don't need the gym in Lisbon it's you just walk but um (laughs) And because I started running there and walking everywhere there, even if it was like a 30-minute walk, I'd rather walk than get on the metro or the bus. So every time I would come back to London, it just was such a natural thing now to walk or to go for a run outside that I was doing it. So, yeah, it's actually that was quite good for me to yeah. uh, to experience like the outside I don't know I've always, I, when I was younger I used to say oh, I don't like nature <laughs> <laughs> like I like the look of it but I don't need to be in it <laughs> and now as I'm older as I've gotten older I'm like nature is the best isn't it yeah so um we've both had our own experiences with egg freezing haven't yes. we yes, yes yeah when did you do yours um i did mine in 2021 so last year oh yeah only last year yeah i think mine was 2018 okay yeah so it's been a few years yeah. so tell me what led you to that decision well it was all a bit of a speedy occurrence really I was writing a feature about um fertility Mm -hmm. Uh, so I was writing a feature for stylist online and about a fertility MOT that I had had and I I found it just really interesting because at school we don't really get taught about fertility no um 
I mean, in my school, I think we had one science lesson on, um, you know, baby making, procreation. <laughs> I went to a convent school, so it was... So did I! Did you? Yeah! <laughs> so it was it was a very limited amount of information going on there. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, we, I did, we didn't get really taught about anything about fertility at all. And I think because I look very young... Uh, if I do say so myself, <laughs> I just assumed like, oh, because I look young, like, you know, internally, I'll be young as well. Um, and I think also being of mixed heritage, I'm half German and half Ghanaian, within kind of like black culture, and also, you know, medical misconceptions about black people or people in colour in general, you know, there's this misconception that black women are uber fertile. <laughs> and of course, like over time, when that's something that keeps being said um, or when you see your doctor you know it's things that are mentioned yeah um, that becomes kind of internalized within yourself within the black community and so I think a lot of people you know black people do think women think that they are fertile yeah it's just something that you hear over and over I didn't know that was a thing so, yeah yeah so I had those kind of two things like I look young and I'm black I'm probably super fertile <laughs> Well, little did I know, uh, I went to have my MOT and I had a low AMH um, yeah, result yeah. and I also had a blocked tube. Oh, okay. Yeah. Although I, um, with the blocked tube, I did then go to a gynaecologist and they said that it's very difficult to know when you have the... Um, it's the patency test, isn't it? Yeah. So, which is where liquid and air kind of get passed through to see if your fallopian tubes are clear. Because mm. um, obviously that's where the sperm goes to fertilise, swims up there and fertilises the egg, hopefully. Um, and so mine was blocked. But they did say that when you have that test, sometimes the tube spasms. Oh, okay. So okay. You, could get, you could get a result that... that shows that it's blocked but actually it was just spasming at the time right and there's no way to really know if the tube is blocked like for sure for sure unless you kind of cut in there and have a look which mm. you wouldn't want to do yeah of course um but generally with the lower amh and this maybe blocked tube yeah and being 37 at the time mm -hmm. Uh, those weren't the best results. Sure. So what was your AMH, if you can remember? I think it was nine. Okay. So AMH, for those people who don't know, stands for anti-malarian hormone. Not malaria, malarian hormone. And it's basically produced by sort of the, the eggs you have. So it gives you an indication of how many eggs you have left. And it does vary according to your age. Yeah. So they give you these reference ranges for your age and then that gives you an indication of what your fertility is. And I might be slightly misremembering, but mm. kind of for that age group, I think it could be like 20 or, or something yeah. as well, right? I don't think he actually told me, which was, I think, I mean, he just told me that it was low. Right. And yeah, I think... It, it's difficult with that test because I see now more and more um, companies are selling kind of online tests yeah. in terms of they send out a pack and you do a little pinprick. Yeah. And I think in some ways it can be a bit misleading because even if you've got a low egg count, if you're younger, the quality of your eggs should still be quite good. Yeah. So having a low AMH doesn't mean that you couldn't get pregnant naturally. Um, but obviously, if you if you add the fact that I I was 37 at the time, yeah. so the f fertility declines rapidly after 35, and then I've got the low egg reserve, so you know not mm. as many eggs as maybe someone else my age. Yeah. All of that together and with the possible blocked tube was the reason that I thought about egg freezing. Yeah. So, you know, your story is actually very, very similar to mine. I think I was around the same sort of age. Yeah. And my friend had had her eggs frozen and she was a little bit older than me. And she was like, well, why wouldn't you get it done? Why wouldn't you think about it? So I thought, oh, maybe I'll think about it. And I, like you, I thought, well, I, I look, you know, quite young and I'm quite healthy and I look after myself. Mm. So I'm sure my AMH is going to be amazing. Yeah. And I think mine was nine as well. Oh, right. I'm like, what the hell? What do you yeah. mean? Yeah. It's nine. Now, I think it's all very well doing an online test. And I did my own test. But I think what you need with these tests is some counselling. Yeah. Because I remember I was just like 
devastated when I saw my result and I called one of my best friends who's a doctor and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this. I'm infertile. Like, I was at Liverpool Street Station and every time I go to that platform, I oh, think no. of it. It was quite traumatic. Yeah, you know? I mean, my whole experience was very traumatic, yeah, I feel I was, like. I was so upset. And my yeah. friend said to me, what would you tell your patient if this was your patient? And I went home once I eventually got on the tube, you know, after mm. speaking to my friend and, and I thought about it. And what I thought was I, I'd go and see a good gynecologist. And I know a good gynecologist. So I booked the appointment for the week after, yeah. spoke to him about it. He did the, you know, scan and things like you had. And he said, look, you don't need to get your eggs frozen today. It could be within six months. And I'm like, well, no, let's just crack on. If this is low, well, I think it sounds you had a similar yeah. experience. Yeah. So I think I booked in for the month after yeah. and just got it done because I yeah. thought I just need to crack on with this really. Yeah, absolutely. Really kind of pushed me to do it. I think the difficulty is obviously like egg freezing is an expensive endeavour. Yeah, it's about about £5,000, yeah, right? Yeah. Depending where you go, like yeah. five to ten, how many rounds you do. Yeah. Obviously, there's the cost of egg freezing and then on top of that is the cost of the medication. So depending on how much medication you yeah. need that will vary for each person and don't forget the yearly storage fee and the storage <laughs> fee exactly and the, usually like the pack in the packages they do it's like the first year free yeah, yeah you get um, the first but year yes, free and the storage fee, fee so I really like I gave myself three months you know so obviously having to kind of pay rent and bills and food and life costs yeah and then save in three months an extra like I aimed for 10,000. Mm-hmm. I literally, and as a freelancer, it's like, I, by the end of it, by the start of the egg, like doing the egg freezing process, I was exhausted. And I really feel like being exhausted before you start that process is not the best way to start. So I probably, in some ways, it was like, oh, I wish I had taken it a bit slower yeah Um, but then obviously you know with age time is not on your side and obviously that links back to our hormones obviously yeah the change in hormones (laughs) as you age impacts your fertility and and yeah and so I that's kind of how it happened and yeah and then I I started the process I think it was October how did you find it I I thought that the hardest thing would be injecting myself Okay. But that was the easiest thing. I mean, <laughs> like I was, I would go out and, you know, for dinner and, and because you have to inject at the same time. So I'd be in the loo kind of injecting oh. or, you know. Um, oh, I did mine in the morning oh, at the same you? time. Well, I had morning ones and evening ones. Oh, I just had morning yeah, ones. Yeah, I think because my... Other than right at the end. Right. I think yeah. because my AMH was low, um, I think that they, the doctor thought, and my initial hormone panel... I think was low in terms of the estrogen. Okay, yeah. So I ended up having the overstimulate, like being overstimulated. Oh, right. Yeah. Um. So that caused a bit of issues after. Um. But yeah, the injecting myself was really easy. I yeah, would, I had no problem with that. Well, either, yeah, you're but. a doctor. <laughs> I was like, at first, like when I was thinking about the whole process, I was like, okay, obviously as a beauty editor, I'm seeing doctors a lot, you yeah. know, aesthetic doctors um, and doctors in general. And I was like, right, where are all the doctors I know and where do they live? Like, who is the closest <laughs> to me? Because if I can't do these injections... I am going to need to go and see somebody. Yeah. Um, but no, I managed to do that. I think for me, I I found it quite tiring. Okay. I felt very exhausted. Um, I think like, you know, when people think about where to go for their egg freezing, obviously you want to see someone that has a lot of experience in a clinic with, um, you know, good feedback. Uh, you know, five stars uh, <laughs> is helpful. But um, also the location, yeah. Um, because you have to go almost every day. Yeah. And it's in the morning. So it's like, you know, and if you're working as well. I wasn't, I mean, I work for myself, so I was working from home. Yeah, me too. So I basically blocked off every clinic morning yeah, for two weeks so that if I had to go, I'd be free. Yeah. And it really made me think, like, how do people do this yeah. in in other jobs? Exactly. Because I've you've got... got to- yeah, I've got a flexible job, so yeah. I can do that with Same. enough notice. Yeah. And so do you. But I thought, this is really hard to like have that conversation with your boss. And, mm. you know, I mean, I told everyone at work I was doing it. I don't yeah. feel any shame or secrecy. And I think the more we talk about it, the more um, people learn. So I was very open about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was quite interesting because... 
Um, yes, it was very tiring kind of going every... I had to go almost every day. Okay. Um, and I, I had to go in the mornings because I think they would have to adjust the, um, yeah, the injections as well. Yeah, they've so got to do the bloods, they need the exactly, results back you need the, the time and everything. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was a lot. Um, but I kind of documented it on my social media, on my Instagram. And so many people, like, mess- had messaged me, um, you know, oh, I did it, like, last year, or I'm thinking about doing it, or I'm in the process of saving up to do it and asking lots of questions. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, you know, I'm just going to... F- film as much as I can and just put it on my Instagram and hopefully that answers all the questions. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, And then I wrote a feature at the end for the Mail Plus. um, So that's online for people to read. Yeah, I'll share that in the show notes. Yeah, so... But yeah, so I found it difficult. I think I also... I found it very emotional because... It's one thing to kind of all the medical stuff, you know, to get your blood test results, your AMA, and to know that, you know, your fertility is low for your age and then go through the egg freezing process and all the injections and things like that. But then you're like, okay, what am I doing this for? Yeah. Like I'm at, do I want a child or children? If I do, do I want to be a parent with somebody else? Do I want to be a solo parent? Mm Mm-hmm. Does what I want even matter? Because can I even afford these possible children? Yeah. And so it really was like a Pandora's box of questions that I needed to like really get straight on. Okay. Um, and the answers to those questions, it, you know, has impacted my life and will impact my life and has had, it's kind of made me have to, I suppose, like, change my life in some ways yeah um and be more aware of what I'm doing in terms of work in terms of like finances all those things because I don't know if I will have children with someone if I'll meet someone I want to have children with you know will I need to use these eggs that I'm freezing yeah um so it's just you know you're going through everything and you're like okay I'm doing this as a a backup Mm. but it just makes you, yeah, it makes you ask yourself a lot of questions that I that I wish I'd asked myself when I was younger. Yeah. Um, and that's that goes back to the whole kind of fertility conversations in school. Yeah, or, you know, just with your friends and just to be aware of it. And um, so I was like the opposite to you. I didn't ask myself any questions. Okay. <laughs> I just thought I'm buying myself time. So I don't have to ask any of these questions. Right. So that's kind of how I look today. I still don't have the answers to the questions. I feel like as a journalist, because I wrote about the process, I kind of had to think about it a lot more. Yeah. And I'm also someone, I guess that's why I'm a journalist, that kind of asks questions. Um, yeah. But also getting all the statistics. Obviously, uh-huh. like so many people freeze their eggs and more and more people are going to be freezing their eggs because you used to only be able to store your eggs for 10 years. Yes. And now you can store them for 55, which means I think that people will be doing this younger. Yeah. But the thing is that most of the frozen eggs in the world have not been used. Yeah. So the statistics, well, they're quite low uh, in terms of the amount of babies that are born and that started off as a frozen egg, mm. that then it becomes an embryo and then implants and, um, you know, goes the whole hog of nine months yeah. or thereabouts. Yeah, it's it's really low, the stats. So I hate, I hate saying this to people, but I really think they have to be aware that you can't pin all your hopes on egg freezing. Yeah, definitely um, not. And it's like, it's not really a backup, so to speak, in terms of that oh, you do that and then at whatever age you can just have a baby because there's no guarantee that, you know, I've got 15 eggs. Out of those 15 eggs, I don't know how many will become embryos. Yeah. And I don't know how many will implant and, like, stick in there and grow to become a fully-fledged baby that, you know, I give birth to. But, of course, if you do want children further down the line it is a backup in the sense that if you've tried every single option you know trying naturally and then insemination you're giving yourself one last option basically yeah Yeah, it's not a guarantee it some sort of insurance policy but yeah with lots of insurance policies they don't always pay out yeah exactly so it's kind of the way yeah. um yeah. I look at it and I just thought 
I'm at this stage of my life now. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just going to give myself an option. And actually, yeah. my gynecologist, when I went to see him, he said, do you know what? I think what you're doing is really great because when I was 36, I was dating someone who was 36 and I was really in love with her. And then she broke it off with me and I didn't know why. And I was devastated. And then many, many years later, I met her again and I asked why. And she said, because you were definitely not ready for marriage and children. And I was 36 and I couldn't afford to wait. Right. And he said, well, maybe if she'd have had her eggs frozen, we'd still be together. Yeah. Maybe she, sh he, she should have had a conversation with him and see what he had to say about that. Um, I guess back then, maybe egg yeah. freezing wasn't common again. No. And I just think, you know, I did it because a friend put the idea in my mind. Right. Before I thought it's just something celebrities and Americans do, basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then I've put the idea in other friends' minds. And I just think we should be having this conversation so people know it's an option. Yeah. And it is an expensive option. But like one of my best friends, she's 31. And we were talking and I said, well, you know, maybe if you're not in the right place to have a child in three or four years time, it's something you should think about. And she's like, yeah, yeah, you're right because then she yeah. could maybe do it a few times if she yeah. if her body could handle it and yeah. if she wanted to I mean I definitely would uh, I definitely recommend it to people absolutely like I it wasn't a fun you know two and a half weeks for me <laughs> and it and it felt like that two and a half weeks has like triggered a massive like life examination yeah and that I'm only kind of coming out on the other side a year later and and feel like you know, there's been a lot of confusion around everything that's kind of been triggered by this egg freezing. Yeah. And so I f I'm starting to feel more settled and like can take that next stage with all the answers to the questions that yeah. I was asking myself. But I still definitely would recommend egg freezing to people. And I, I mean, obviously, I'm not a doctor, but I do think that freezing them as young as possible. I mean, it would be yeah. better to freeze your eggs in your 20s. Sure. Because the quality of your eggs is going to be much better than in your 30s. Yeah, definitely. Um, and now, obviously, that you can freeze for longer, um, you know, if you can have your 20s eggs and, <laughs> and use them, you know, in your late 30s or early 40s, if you can't get pregnant naturally, you know, then that's great. Also, I wonder in the future, if you try to get pregnant in your 40s and you've frozen your eggs in your 20s, you might not even try to get pregnant naturally. Because yeah, maybe obviously not. Obviously, when you're 40 or above, you know, the quality of the egg, you could get pregnant, but then your your embryo could have certain issues. Exactly. Health yeah. issues. Yeah. So you if at that age, since that's a risk, but you froze your eggs in your twenties, you could just bypass trying naturally. Yeah. And you could just, yeah. you know, do the IVF route. So like at the time of us recording, um, last week, Jennifer Aniston did a um, an article, an interview, yeah. where she talked about her fertility issues. And one of the things she said is she wishes someone had told her just to freeze her eggs earlier. Because mm. she, maybe at that time it wasn't really talked about. You know, I'd have thought in Hollywood it would be. Maybe yeah. it just wasn't on her radar. Yeah. But that was basically her take home. I wish someone had told me earlier to freeze my eggs because then when she was ready, she had issues with, um, I guess, well, I don't know which part of the process, but some of the yeah. process. Yeah. So I think it is important. It may not be the right option for you, but it's good to know about yeah. it. And then you can make an informed decision. Yeah. And even it's just, I think, really good to know about how lifestyle decisions can impact your fertility. Yeah. You know, everything from your diet to um, smoking to alcohol smoking, to alcohol. drug use, you know, yeah. and it's not just women, it's men as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's it's always a conversation that us, well, egg freezing is something that we don't really talk about, but we should talk about more. Yes. And fertility is something that we as women should talk about more, but it's definitely something that women talk about more than men Yeah. Uh, until there's a, a big issue. But I think, yeah, I think teenagers, and I know through my research and through writing articles and interviewing experts that schools are starting to um, talk a bit more about fertility and they're addressing that topic with all genders. Yeah. Um, which I think is really important. So I think, yeah, I, I, I think the fertility topic, the discussions around it hopefully will be different in the future. Yeah, I um, hope so too.
But then obviously with the like the environment and you know all of that that can impact obviously fertility as well. Yeah. Um so I yeah I think there's lots of there's lots of elements to the fertility kind of story this topic. Mm. Um but yeah, there's only so much you can do. So I think it's like take control in the areas that you can c- take control. Yeah. And yeah, I kind of have to leave the rest up to fate in some way. Yeah, you do. And yeah. destiny or, yeah. or the universe. But yeah, I think it's definitely more, um, it should be a conversation we're having more. And just to have that awareness that it's not an ideal option, but yeah. there are options out there. I wanted to ask how you felt on the treatment uh, for for the egg freezing with the hormones. Oh, well, after about day three and I'm walking down Baker Street and I see like the cutest puppy I've probably ever seen in my life and I started crying. (laughs) That's when I knew that the hormones had like super kicked in. (laughs) Yeah, I just was tired. Yeah, I cried a lot. But Mm. for rant, not... It wasn't like at that time, oh, I'm really contemplating life and I'm crying because of, you know, the desire. You just like hormonal, I, yeah, emotional. Just hormonal yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, watch something on TV. I think, you know, Bette Midler, um, you know, Beaches, the movie, yeah. and The Wind Beneath My Wings, <laughs> that came on. And I literally started crying. It was, the film wasn't on. <laughs> it, I just heard a bit of the song. The the film ran through my head and I just started crying. <laughs> so yeah, there was a lot of tears. Yeah. It was it was an emotional it was an emotional time. Um, but it was also a time that was kind of helping me get clear on life in general. Yeah. So I think it was an unwelcome slash welcome experience. <laughs> yeah, and as I said, it's just really made me rethink pretty much every aspect of my life wow yeah it's, it's had a really big big impact mm. um so we'll see so i felt great on the hormones did you yeah one of the few people what? who i've ever spoken to was like i'm like i felt amazing and i think it's because i've always had a high estrogen okay which i know through my testing yeah um, and i probably just really responded to like having so many hormones in my system like my focus was great my mood was great oh my god my I energy got no was work done during those two and a half weeks <laughs> Wow. I mean, I didn't feel nauseous. Like, I wasn't... Vom- I know some people, like, get nauseous and oh, vomit yeah, and things like that. that. Yeah. But I cannot believe that you felt good. I felt incredible. So <laughs> after that, after that, did you think, oh, I need to tweak the hormones that I'm taking? Or did you do anything with... Like, did you treat yourself in a different way going forward? Uh, so... When I had the procedure done, yeah. the um, actual process of uh you know the egg harvesting yeah i got ovarian overstimulation after oh, that okay as well so yeah. afterwards i was in a lot of pain yes. and i didn't feel great so that bit i didn't feel great with right okay i was a bit worried i was going to have some sort of infection or whatever but it never materialized i think it was just the pain from the overstimulation and then basically i sort of waited for my cycle to settle and and then it, it sort of settled and it was it was fine at that point okay so, so you didn't think oh let me start taking oh no this cream and you know and like just uh what what do they call it when you um oh god what's that thing you know like people do all these different medical uh to kind of tweak they just basically like tweak yeah things. just what's do a bit of called? tweaking oh it has a term but anyway yeah well i'm surprised you didn't do that i would probably do that really? if i felt good i would be going to the doctor going right how do we get these levels Oh, no way, because, like, <laughs> too much oestrogen, that's what caused me to store fat and, right. and all that sort of thing. Yeah. So I'm like, no, oestrogen be gone. <laughs> like, I don't want to feel good. I want to look good. I enjoyed no. it for a month, but yeah. I think a month is all I can yeah. handle of this, basically. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah no, I wouldn't... Um, well, actually, when, they, when, they, when I came out and I came to... Um, the doctor who had done the retrieval came over and said, "Oh, we took, we got 17." Uh, later on in that day, they rang me and they said 15 were. Yeah, because they screened them. Yeah, yeah, so 15 were frozen, but they took out 17. And then I said, "Oh, okay. Is that like, is that a good number?" I said, "Yeah. I mean, are you doing the process again?" Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, because also I had some medication left, so I was like, "Oh, is that a good number? Um, what do you think? Like, I have some medication left. Or should I keep it for like you know 
to do another round or, you know, can I give it back or whatever? And he was like, oh, well, are you going to do it again? Like, you know, people, some people do two or three rounds. Yeah, some people do. Um, And I was just like, "Mm, if you think 15's good enough, like, I'll just leave it there. 15 sounds good. Yeah, I'll (laughs) leave it there. Um, He said, like, you know, that could be one baby, maybe two. Yeah. So I was like, okay, that's that's fine. I don't know how I'm going to afford this one baby anyway. So, (laughs) you know, for now, that's okay. So, yeah. But um, no, I I felt, I was glad it was over and I had the overstimulation as well. So I had like the pain and uh, like rapid weight gain. Mm. And then after that, I found it really difficult to lose weight. So I was eating in the exact same way as I had before. So quite like no sugar, no carbs and... I guess, you know, I'm not going to say the amount of calories, but like a a healthy amount of calories, but for weight loss. Sure. Um, And I was just staying the same, staying the same. And so I couldn't lose that weight that I'd gained during the process. And so after that kind of, like, I felt quite bad about it. You know, when you're just like, why is this not going? Um, And so there was a lot of, like, after that kind of emotional eating and Mm. then not feeling comfortable in your clothes and then not wanting to kind of socialise because you don't feel comfortable and it just becoming a cycle, like, getting kind of worse and worse. So, yeah, that's something I'm going to start kind of working on Mm. now. It's definitely a process that's hard on the body. Yeah, absolutely. it is important that people are also aware of that but then again like we're saying if you maybe get it done in your 20s or early 30s maybe it's easier to bounce back yeah and I think as well like that's the thing where I say oh I wish I had had more time because I imagine like oh if I was in my early 20s and that was something on my radar then I could say like okay you know in two years time I'm going to freeze my eggs yeah and if that's on people's radar then they probably know like these are things that could happen you might feel like this Mm. and you can kind of mentally prepare yourself yeah I think like when you do it probably how we do it which was like really rushed and you know there's no mental preparation yeah um I mean, obviously, you can kind of, like, psych yourself out of doing things when you have to mentally prepare sure. or you can make things seem worse in your mind yeah. when, when there's a longer period of time. But I think I think if I'd known more and had more time, yeah. I might have been able to kind of, like, create, I don't know, like, you know, have a, a timetable for myself yeah. and, and put things in place so that I, sure. you know, I didn't get to certain stages with maybe my weight, for example, or yeah. my mood and my anxiety yeah. and stuff. So, yeah. I think that's why it's really important where having this discussion and people listening have discussions with people who they think it's relevant to and pass on the episode as well so uh, hopefully we can help other people as well so definitely yeah thank you for coming on the show thank you so much I really enjoyed it (laughs) (laughs) I really enjoy talking about it now because it's like it's a year past you know at the time it's like you're in it raw and a bit fresh so now it's like okay it's been a year and I'm over it yeah Yeah. thank you so much A thank you, Amelie, for your candid and honest conversation. I think it's really important to be talking about fertility and egg freezing as an option. Again, we talked about lifestyle changes for hormonal issues. I studied psychoneuroimmunology, also known as PNI, which is the connection between the mind and body and how it influences health. And I definitely feel this is, and I definitely feel this is apt for hormones also. Getting connected to your body is so important especially if you feel like the body is failing you, which is a common feeling in illness or health conditions. There is a link to Amelie's article on egg freezing in the show notes. I look forward to speaking to you next week. Thanks for tuning in this week to It's Your Hormones. Join me again next week to hear more real-life stories about how hormones can affect you and what you can do about it. See you next week.